0: What do you do on
1: Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett. The acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all.
0: Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle.
1: This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, El Elfad. Welcome to Sundays with Kate. The podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. This week we're going back to almost the beginning of Kate's career and the film released just a few months after her international breakout in Elizabeth. We're going to 1999's Pushing Tin. And for this conversation, I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast for the first time. The editor for Letterboxd and writer for the film stage and Paste magazine, Mitchell Bupre. Mitchell, welcome.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here. And as you said, to go back to the beginning, almost the beginning of Cate Blanchett.
1: Yes, I know. This movie was such a blast from the past. <laughs> for
0: <real? laughs> Yeah. It's so weird to see her in this kind of role because she really just started, you know, I mean, Elizabeth was, you know, right at the beginning of her career, basically. So she really just almost immediately was born as Kate Blanchett. So seeing her in this kind of, you know, a supporting role like this, like you would never really see her in something like this now.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't. And especially it's like, she still does supporting roles, but usually they're like a featured role, like what she did yeah. in Don't Look Up, which exactly. is like, yeah. But yes, this is sort of like, Obviously, she got this role before Elizabeth made her an international star. Um, But it was the movie released after Elizabeth. So the fans who fell in love with Elizabeth (laughs) went and saw this movie. I fell in love with Elizabeth at the time, but I wasn't living in America. I was in Sudan and we don't get all the movies. So I didn't actually see this one until years later. So anyway. Uh, let me ask you, did you just see this for the first time or did you have you seen it before?
0: I had seen it before, probably maybe at least a decade ago. I So in like 2009 to like 2013, I worked at a video store and Pushington was one of those movies that like we had a ton of the, these kind of movies, like late 90s, like early 2000s movies that we just had tons of copies of that, you know, we sold for like $4 and couldn't get rid of them. So I just vividly (laughs) remember seeing the cover of Pushington, like always, because we just had so many copies of it. And I didn't watch it when I worked there, but... Or no, I guess I probably did watch it when I worked there. And like one day I just brought it home, you know, you see these four, four actors in a movie and it's a movie that you've like never even heard of, Yeah, like what is that? How'd they get these four actors? And it's a movie that I never even heard of. So I checked it out. I didn't really remember it that well though. So I rewatched it the other night for this and it, it felt very much like a first time viewing because it had been so long since I had seen it.
1: Yes, it is very strange, but let's start with these four <laughs> actors. Actually, before we do that, let's just say what this movie is about. So Pushington is directed by Mike Newell. It is about two air traffic controllers played by Joan Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton. One of them is sort of cocky and determined. This is IMDb. And the other is restrained and laid back. (laughs) (laughs) Don't quote me on this. This is IMDb. Um, And basically the plot is that um, Joan Cusack is married to Kate and Billy Bob Thornton is married to Angelina Jolie. Um, And then Angelina and John have a one night stand that sort of affects everybody's life and basically affects the competition between these two air traffic controllers who are sort of like um, in this high stakes, high um, stress job. That's what the movie is really about. So um, the first big disappointment about this movie is that you see Kate Blanchett, third build, Angelina Jolie, fourth build. And there is a reason. The men come before them. (laughs) It's not about them at all. They're just literally the wives.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it, it says a lot to where kind of all four of these actors were like in their careers at the time. That it's a movie where John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton are the leads, and Blanchett and Jolie are the supporting wives in it. Whereas now it would be totally the flip of that. Like Kay Blanchett and Angelina Jolie are these huge stars. John Cusack and Billy Bob Thornton kind of you know faded away a little bit from where they were at this point.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think you're exactly 100% right about that, because I think if we were to build this movie today, for first mm-hmm. of all, these four won't work in a movie today, but let's just <laughs> pretend that they would. I think if we had John one, Billy two, Kate three and Angelina four, it will totally flip. Angelina would be first and yeah. will be second. Billy Bob will be third. He's more respected these days than John Cusack and John Cusack will be last. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the time, this was 10 years from Say Anything uh, for John Cusack in 1999 and sort of two years from Gross Point Blank, which gave him sort of a mini renaissance. And I think this is why he probably got a few leads, including this and High Fidelity. And he was like he was like in in a moment at yeah. that time.
0: Yeah, it was a good time for John Cusack. I'm, I'm a big John Cusack fan. I was especially like when I saw this movie for the first time, I had like a huge John Cusack crush was going through it. And that, this was kind of that hot period. Like you said, like he was bouncing back a little bit. Identity was not too long after this as well. And so yeah. he was, he was flying a little bit high again before kind of going, you know, back down not too long. after, Yes.
1: Um, it's funny with John Cusack, like he had amazing films. Like say anything is a classic. I think being John Malkovich is another one. Although when people talk right. about that, that movie, they don't really talk about John Cusack um, yeah. unfortunately, but he is in it and he's the lead in that. Yeah. But yeah, Today, I wouldn't know what to tell people about besides those two movies. You as a fan, Mitchell, um, what would you, what recently, if he, if you've seen anything you liked recently for John Cusack, what would that be?
0: Yeah, recently is the good question, because I feel like the last one that I really, I'm a very big fan of Hot Tub Time Machine, right. um, <laughs> which is like part of the appeal of that is it's a very much a throwback to kind of his eighties comedies, like things like better off dead. Um, it's a movie that I really love and hot tub time machine is kind of a throwback to that. And so I really loved that. But other than that, I mean, he was in, he was in shy right. The Spike Lee movie. He kind of had a pretty prominent part in that. Yeah. But that certainly is not a movie that you think of as a John Cusack movie or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's really like kind of, the eighties, nineties, maybe early two thousands ish, where it's like, that's like his hot period. That's where like my John Cusack fandom comes from. But yeah, it's, it's a little bit disappointing that he's kind of fallen off the radar.
1: Yeah. And sort of 1999 was also sort of like they captured Angelina Jolie. She has the smallest of the four, for the, of the four roles. And sort of they captured her right. She became supernova Angelina Jolie's superstar because this was maybe a year after Gia and less than a year before she won the Oscar for Girl Interrupted. So right at that moment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was I was honestly even surprised that it was as small of a role because I mean, like Hackers was really big and I was, you know, a few years before this. So I was surprised that she wasn't more prominent than she is. Mm-hmm. It it still does make sense. I mean especially being, you know, kind of a young woman in Hollywood at the time it makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Angelina sort of um has a very spotty filmography like she's a she's yeah. a great actress and an amazing star. But her filmography is very spotty. Like even 1999, which was the year she broke out, 1999, 2000 and won the Oscar for Girl Interrupted. Like her other movies were The Bone Collector and Gone in 60 Seconds. Two right. Movies yeah. Nobody <laughs> talks about now, but they were huge hits at the time.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> very odd. Very fun. Kind of. It's a fun year for everybody. Cause I mean, being John Malkovich, like you said, that was the same year as this. Obviously, Kate, yes. you know, coming right off of Elizabeth, but then also had was an ideal husband was this year and then talented mr ripley which you know a small role but she's amazing and talented mr ripley it was wow. the same year as this as well so it's it's an odd year for kind of everybody that's in this movie yeah
1: and we haven't talked about billy bob but i think this was a couple of years after his breakout with sling blade so he was yeah. also high on that
0: it was the year after a simple plan as well which he was nominated for another oscar for his performance in that so he was yeah. definitely on the rise still yes.
1: and of course a couple of years later he and kate will do bandits with bruce willis but
0: yeah and that was the same year that he was in monsters ball too which you know really he's he's really doing doing a good run here too
1: yeah absolutely and maybe the reason they all came together to do this movie is mike Newell, the director who was also riding high at the time because he directed um four weddings and a funeral and Donnie Brasco, which were two very successful, very different movies in that era, and this was the follow-up.
0: Yeah, he's got he's got a really kind of eclectic filmography. Like just, I mean, looking at those two, and then this, he had Enchanted April in the early '90s before Four Weddings and a Funeral, which you know was a really kind of um was it like period piece? You know, and it's it's a really interesting filmography to see. Just all of his films together because he's not really a director that maybe a lot of people when you see his name that you really think of like a specific movie for or specific movies for but he was one of those kind of guys around this period where he was just doing a bunch of different stuff but like hitting everywhere where he was doing because all those movies that we mentioned, you know, are acclaimed Mm -hmm. movies, and then after this kind of takes a a downward (laughs) fall, you know, similar to the men in the movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think my theory about this, when this theory was born just from looking at his IMDb, is that Pushington is the movie that sort of like derailed him basically and pushed his career down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you've got to think because I mean, Pushington and then so Mona Lisa Smile was the movie that he did like right after this, which was supposed to be, I remember, I'm pretty sure like the Entertainment Weekly cover, I think it was like their like fall movie preview cover was Mona Lisa's smile for that year, so it was like really pitched as the big like Oscar movie of mm-hmm. that year. And I think if I'm right, it's the first movie covered on the podcast that had Oscar buzz. I think was so, Mona Lisa's yeah. smile, and it, I mean that's it's the definitive kind of this had Oscar buzz movie. Yeah. You know, like it was supposed to be huge, and then so maybe like Pushing Tin was like the hit, and then like the the punch, you know, and then Mona Lisa's smile happened, and that just like really sunk him after that.
1: Yes, he continued to work though. He made yeah, like notorious bombs like Love in the Time of Cholera, which you you take that wonderful book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And I don't know yeah. what he did. I haven't seen it, but I don't know anybody who's seen it, but it must have <laughs> <True. been that. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> And then yeah. of course he did the notorious Jake Dillon Hall flop that completely changed and derailed Jake
0: Dillon's Hall's career too, uh Prince of Persia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the Great Expectations movie after that, which I am pretty sure I've seen, but do not remember a second of that had Helena Bonham Carter and Ray Fine in it. I don't remember it at all, but I remember it coming out and thinking that I should see it because of the cast. But it just feels like one of those anonymous movies. And then fascinatingly, I was looking him up because I was curious kind of about his filmography, that his most recent movie is something called the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society from 2018 which is a movie i've never heard of
1: oh i remember that one i didn't see it but i remember it appearing on netflix i think it
0: has lily james Um, it is lily james yeah it's so funny you mentioned
1: (laughs) that great expectations because when you first said great expectations i thought immediately of the gwyneth paltrow one that was directed by alfonso cuaron and i was like that's not him right but I, (laughs) i I don't remember at all that he did one with Rafe finds and Helen Bonham Carter.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if it like came out in the US. I remember it coming out in like the UK, but I don't even know if it came out here. Or maybe it did, but like didn't really get, you know, much of a release.
1: Yeah. So uh, Mike Newell, um, not a great career starting with this film, but um <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about this film pushing Tim. So Mitchell first, tell me what what are your thoughts on on the film? I think our listeners can deduce that we are not huge fans of it. Although, maybe there's some things you liked
0: about it. Yeah, there, I think there definitely are some things that I like about it. It's it's a really odd movie. Um, it's very way too long. It's like just over two hours, which is bizarre. I remember watching it this time. I was about an hour through and thought that we were like kind of nearing the end. Yeah. And I realized that I was only like halfway through. Um, But I think I think it starts off kind of interesting, at least, you know, we start off with getting this kind of inside look into the air traffic controllers, which is fascinating to see in a movie that came out two years before September 11th. The movie starts with like shots of planes flying by. The Twin Towers, which was really just unsettling to see. Um, and obviously that, you know, they don't have any control over that, but it was just really, really bizarre to see that. Yeah. But I think kind of the the first hour of it where it introduces, you know, John Cusack's character is already working here and Billy Bob Thornton's character comes in as like the new guy. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's kind of this like dick measuring contest that's going on between the two of them of who gets to be, you know, the real hot shot there. And I found parts of that like interesting and kind of fun and kind of the like look at kind of the like guy culture of the air traffic controllers was, I think, an interesting kind of exploration. And then the more that it goes into the John Cusack and Angelina Jolie have the one night stand and then the rest of the movie becomes about that, it just felt like it went in this like direction that just kind of like plateaued for me where it hit like the peak when they sleep together. And then it just didn't really like elevate from there. It just really yeah. like, yeah, stayed kind of even. Did you like, what were there things that you liked about it?
1: Um, I think the setup is really interesting. Like, like what you said about yeah. the, um, the sort of like the job and the stress of it and like sort of like that. And I thought that the fact that after he sleeps with his wife, Billy Bob sort of tries to insinuate that he's attracted to Kate's character and he might seduce her I was like oh this movie's going somewhere maybe there is like I don't know compromising strangers kind of vibe it's going to uh, you know go deeper into these two marriages and that would have been interesting like what does working in a stressful job do to your marriage but it's it's completely not interested in that at all. And I, it's like that's introduced and almost immediately sort of like dealt off with maybe off camera because Mm. it comes and And, and my favorite scene of Kate's is when she's in the car with John Cusack and he's trying to find out from her if she has slept with Billy Bob or if she, and he tells her that he said she's attractive. And there's a moment where she goes like, Oh, he said I'm attractive. And it's like, And, you know, there is a moment, you know, the camera sort of goes into her and it's a close-up and I'm like, oh, maybe she's considering Billy Bob now, but that's it. We never brought brought on again.
0: Yeah, it feels very much like they kind of forget about the women in in the second half of the movie, which is really bizarre because you would think from like the setup and what the movie is about that that would be where they started to focus on the women more, but Mm -hmm. not so much.
1: Yeah, and then also I agree with you, like the ending took very long. Like, I remember I was writing notes to talk to you as I was watching. And I wrote something about, oh, the ending, the denouement took too long or whatever. But then Mm -hmm. I had to change my note because it wasn't the denouement (laughs) at all. It was like half an hour away from the actual ending. And I'm like, what is going on? What is, I totally was ready for it to end. And I thought it ended. So it's one of those movies that has several endings, kind
0: of. Yeah, for sure. And each one of those endings is like more preposterous than the last the directions that they go. I mean, it's from the jump. It's kind of, you know, it's not a movie that's aiming for realism, necessarily. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very heightened, but Even within the context of the world that they set up, I feel like a lot of the points towards the end are just like so far beyond like suspension of disbelief that you're watching and you're just like confused and like it doesn't, it just doesn't even fit with the movie. Certain things about, you know, like bomb scares come up and you're like, where is this even coming from? Like, yeah, odd choices made.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the bomb scare because that was. (laughs) bomb scare. That's when I thought the movie was ending. So after all this happens and, you know, they're in this sort of like what what Mitchell has called dick measuring contest and (laughs) it is that. And then, you know, there is a bomb scare and suddenly the the implausible plot of this movie sort of has them as the only two air traffic controllers who decide to stay in the building after they announce a bomb a bomb scare and everybody has to evacuate because they have to land the planes that are in the air. So they, and of course you think it's going to be some sort of like tense scene where, you know, their rivalry comes to a heated combustion or something, but it becomes a very stupid scene where (laughs) Bob Thornton has to call one of the planes that they couldn't land. Oh my God. A passenger (laughs) picks up. And it's uh, an older lady. So it's and and the sort of the joke is that she picks up and who who would you like to talk to? And and he's like the pilot. And yeah, it's so stupid.
0: It's uh, it's yeah, it's so weird. It is like it's yeah, you would think this is the moment where their rivalry climaxes and where, you know, they're the two of them are the ones who stay behind to try to land these planes. So it's like that's the perfect place to have them kind of settle the differences and bond together and you know they forge this like friendship through fire kind of thing but instead it just becomes yet another thing where you know the the situation becomes resolved Billy Bob Thornton's character gets all the credit and gets praised for doing it. And John Cusack doesn't. So he feels slighted because of it. And it's just, yeah, like you said, like that's kind of the perfect place to end the movie. It feels like the organic place to end the movie, but instead it just becomes another thing to, you know, keep fueling this like tension that's already there. Like we already, we don't need that to establish, you know, the rivalry between them even further.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the John Cusack character was due for Due for a humiliation Mm -hmm. uh, because of basically all the things that he has done in the movie so (laughs) far so not a good guy (laughs) yeah so i get it but why do this like you know sort of huge big implausible plot point to just humiliate him like they could have done something else that's simpler and fits the tone
0: It's, it's so weird. And then I don't, I don't know if if this is jumping. I mean, we're kind of like at the end. So I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead, but then becomes, you know, a situation where Cate Blanchett's character, you know, becomes aware of the fact that John Cusack slept with Angelina Jolie. She gets, you know, very upset. And then John Cusack and Cate Blanchett are on a plane together. And John Cusack becomes paranoid that like there's some turbulence or whatever. And he becomes paranoid that Billy Bob Thorne is in the air traffic control room and he's, you know, trying to bring down their plane. And he frantically is like trying to get to the pilot to tell them, you know, what's going on and that somebody's sabotaging the plane. And it becomes this whole thing where, you know, the, the staff of the plane are trying to take him, take down John Cusack because he seems like an unruly, you know, passenger and everything. And it's like you said, like yes, John Cusack needed to be brought down a peg and, you know, kind of humiliated and everything, but the ways that they went about it were just so bizarre that you can't even like take them seriously anymore. And there are times too, within that, that like, you're not even sure what the tone of these moments are supposed to be Mm -hmm. like the, when that whole thing is going down on the plane, there's this moment that with Kate that I really, really love where he keeps telling Kate that he's just like trying to, you know, get like a glass of water or something. And all the staff is, like, tackling John Cusack and putting him down. And Cade Blanchett, like, shows up just in the corner and is like, ah, can't you just get him a glass of water? And, like, her delivery (laughs) of that is phenomenal, like, so, so good. But, yeah, the whole scene is just really odd.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this, like, why does this movie make all these very strange choices? There's a lot of sort of, like, big gestures, sort of high-concept plot Mm -hmm. twists, and I'm just like, is this sort of like what studio filmmaking was in the 90s? Like, it feels right. like, you know, somebody was sitting in a room telling the... And there are two guys who are credited with this uh, with the screenplay. But, like, it feels like this is a room of executives saying, well, it's been an hour and 15 minutes. We need a big moment here. <laughs> yeah. so let's put a bomb scare and yeah. let's put some turbulence and get John and Kate in a plane. And, you know, I'm not saying their name, character. I think her name is Connie and he's Mr. Falzone. <laughs> So let's yeah, put Falzon. Nick, Nick maybe Nick Falzone. Yeah, so let's <laughs> put Falzone and Connie and get some turbulence. And it just feels like it—it it has no link to any sort of plausible human behavior.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that's a good point. That you know, even if there are two credited writers on it, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a ton of ghost writers on it because it does feel like a kind of movie where it's so many different things and they're just kind of trying to cram it all together into one thing and not, you know, a ton of it really fits together appropriately, I think.
1: Yeah. One thing that I liked about it, and it's kind of sort of what we were talking about earlier. Um, it's sort of, I thought it was, it played really well as a sort of, um, anthropological look at like a certain frat bro culture, like these men who hang out together all the time, who do all these kinds of stupid little games to one up each other and you know their bets on who will crack first and who will you know score the the basketball in right. all these uh, <laughs> kind of things that I don't know um but I imagine yeah. will will happen in that sort of milieu.
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's not dissimilar I think to things that you see you know in films about, you know, like fi- or TV shows about like firefighters or, you know, policemen where like very like macho kind of, you know, work environments. Um, not that there aren't like women in those fields either, but, you know, in, in the film, it's, you know, predominantly men, there's one woman and, yeah. you know, she always is one woman. Yeah, exactly. She's very much portrayed as, you know, the, the man's, you know, the, the guy's girl kind of thing. Um, she and even it's a, lifts
1: weight, right? Because there's a yeah, yeah. There's
0: there's a scene which was a very, very interesting scene that, that I couldn't tell what was going on at first. Um, John Cusack goes and he's like hanging out with one of the other guys played by Jake Weber, and you don't really know. They're like watching some sort of show, and then you kind of realize, like, as they're having this conversation, that it's like. The the woman is it's some like weightlifting like competition with yeah. the woman um who works at you know the air traffic control center. And it's it's a very odd kind of place to set that scene. Um yes. a really interesting kind of detail. Um, but yeah, I, I was interested in that kind of aspect of the movie, particularly too with you know, kind of the exploration of working in this kind of, as you mentioned, like a very high stress environment. There's a scene that happens at one point with um, John Carroll Lynch plays a character who comes in as like a guy who we learned like froze, you know, working as an air traffic controller and just like couldn't, you know, keep doing the job. And He's coming back. He's trying to like, you know, get back into the game and people, everybody there is taking bets on, you know, if he's going to crack again, how far he's going to make it, if he's going to get in the building, if he's going to even get out of his car kind of thing. And I thought I thought that was an interesting, you know, they play over a comedy um, and it is an amusing kind of scene, but it also is uh, interesting detail there just to see kind of the the toll that that kind of a job can like take on somebody. And this idea of I was reminded of kind of the Hurt Locker as well. And the way yeah. that we see in the Hurt Locker, that idea of adrenaline as an addiction, and you kind of can feel that with these guys that they're like addicted to, you know, that high stress environment. And as you mentioned, you know, kind of the, those games of one-upsmanship and everything probably come from that. And I would have loved for that to have been explored more rather than going into the, you know, sleeping with somebody else's wife kind of thing and the directions that the film does go in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very strange film. It's very um, strange. Let's talk about Kate and I'll take this opportunity to ask you a few um, questions about Kate. Um, Mm. So this was not, I assume, the first time you saw a movie with Kate Blanchett. So do you um, remember your first movie and sort of your first impression of her?
0: Yeah, I I would assume. So I'm 31. So I would assume that my first kind of film with her was Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, because it came out when I was like 11. And I do remember very distinctly seeing her in that film. And, you know, when I first saw that film, probably getting nightmares from her in that film because she has that scene where, you know, she gets sort of corrupted by the power of the ring and, you know, has the booming voice and she you know turns like blue and everything. And I remember that scene really, really affecting me. And so that was kind of my first impression of just her in general. And I think becoming a fan of hers didn't really happen until maybe The Aviator, um, because that was kind of when I started getting into movies when I was like 14-ish, and obviously she's amazing in that. And then by the time 2006 rolled around, when she has Babel, the good German, and notes on a scandal... That's Eight when year, I, yeah, yeah that's, that's when I was all in on Cape Blanchett and was like, okay, this is one of my favorite actresses, you know, I want to see everything that she does. And I think that was probably around the time when I went back and finally started seeing, you know, Elizabeth and kind of the earlier stuff too.
1: Yeah. Um, I was there at the beginning with Elizabeth. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm a little older than you. So I was there at the beginning with Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, and I, so what do you think of sort of like her screen persona? What do you, like in this podcast, in this series, we sort of mm-hmm. talked uh, that she has a certain presence, she has a certain confidence, mm-hmm. like sort of what do you think of her sc- screen persona and what sort of you think makes her special when you watch Kate Blanchett
0: in a film? Yeah, I think... I when i when i first kind of think of her when she comes into my mind obviously the first thought is kind of you know she's one of the best who's doing it you know and has been for since the beginning you know of her coming on the fact that she didn't really have a slow kind of ascension like most actors you know are supposed to the fact that she just exploded and was immediately Cate Blanchett is a really unique kind of you know track for an actor to take and it's deserved the fact that she was undeniable from the beginning makes a lot of sense and i think that there's kind of like um a regal quality that i associate with her she feels very kind of above reality in a way she's very much like a very uh capital a kind of actor to me you know she comes in and she's really just dominating the scene, whenever she's in it, anytime she's in a scene, it's like a Cate Blanchett scene, even if she's in, you know, a supporting role, like we talked about, don't look up, you know, she's, she's not a main character in that movie, but she's my favorite thing about that movie. I don't really like that movie, but I think that she's incredible in that movie and she steals the entire movie when she's on it. And, you know, you think of something like Hannah or Cinderella, you know, she's in these supporting roles, but when Cate Blanchett's in a movie, it's like a Cate Blanchett movie to me. And I think that that's, you know, a really distinct kind of quality for any actor to have. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, even though my mind first goes to kind of those big kind of performances of hers, I'm also really impressed when I think about her, when I let my thoughts go further with her, the fact that even if that's where my mind goes to first, she does have these like really naturalistic performances as well that she can dive into. And I think that's part of what makes her so special is that even if she can go big, she also has, you know, this like naturalism to her that fuels that I think. And then she can tap into it with a movie like Little Fish is like a movie that I really yeah. love and think she's amazing in. And that's like such a totally different performance than you would initially think of with her maybe.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the very few movies she made in Australia. Yeah. But I agree with yeah. your point that she's very versatile. Um, yeah. And yes, she sort of does the heightened performance is very well like you know yeah. when she's doing a carol or when she's doing Catherine Hepburn you can't do Catherine Hepburn without doing Catherine Hepburn so yeah. she does that <laughs> but yeah. but she also does other things and that's what makes her interesting to talk about
0: yeah for sure yeah it's it's such an interesting career too she goes all over the place
1: yeah but here she is connie and as we talked about um, I always talk about the Kate Blanchett look because you know she loves a wig, and <laughs> and, and she loves an accent, and she sort of has both in this. So she has a blonde perm with a with with a fringe in the yeah. look.
0: <laughs> it's a very um, striking look from the second, and especially with the accent too. Like from the second that she's on the screen, you're like, okay. We're we're in Cape story territory right now, and you know it's it's a nice place to be.
1: Yeah, it's very Jersey, but I guess yeah. it's sort of like it's so different because Carol Erd is a a Jersey
0: right, person yeah. too.
1: but not not like not, <laughs> not like, like Connie Falzone. <laughs> yeah, in sort of her accent work, like I think I one of the things that surprised me about this, and I think it's a positive in this movie, is that nobody was sort of overplaying the Jersey accent too much. Like yeah. All of them were more naturalistic, very subdued and coherent. And they were all together doing sort of like, you know, Billy Bob is supposed to be from Arkansas or from Arizona, somewhere like that. Right. Yeah,
0: I think Oklahoma, but also like partly like he's apparently half Native American, which is um, a choice that they made in the movie (laughs) that they reference
1: often. (laughs) Yes, that's like um, it was kind of. You know, borderline offensive. We don't need to get into it. <laughs> it's it's but, not great. <laughs> yeah, um, but I brought him up because um, he has like a southern accent, which is yeah. the Billy Bob accent. So he's not yeah. great, Jersey. But like you know, uh, Cusack and Kate are doing the same accent, which is a sort of not a big accent at all. Which I I was surprised by that because um, you know, and this and this movie is sort of like it's not heightened in any way. It's it's a more realistic movie, despite all the high jinks, like yeah. I think it's, it's set in a realistic milieu. So the accent sort of fits that nobody's trying to like do a big, a big accent here.
0: Yeah. It could have gone a lot bigger. And I think that the choice is to not go that big. were really smart. And I think that it's also, you know, it's the kind of role where if you had a lesser performer in the part, it wouldn't have been as interesting Kate's role. Because I think that on paper, there's probably not a ton there, but she makes it feel really alive and really fun. She has like a ton of fun in this movie. And I, you know, I mean, it might be because I was watching it under, you know, the pretense of us doing this podcast. So I was like really focusing on, you know, her. But I think she's probably the best thing about this movie, because anytime that she's on the screen, like she really pops. There's a whole running thread through through the film with her doing this art class. Yeah. and anytime that her art class gets mentioned is like it's so funny there's a scene the when john cusack sleeps with angelina jolie's character um he comes home and Kate blanchett is you know home and she shows him this work that she did in the art class and it's this um this work this I, i'm not sure exactly what the like material of it was but she had to uh draw John F. Kennedy. Yeah. A portrait of John F. Kennedy. And it's just like such like an odd little moment. But it's also so sincere. Like he he tells her that it looks, you know, like John F. Kennedy. And she her reaction is like, you can tell who it looks like. You can tell that it's supposed to be JFK. and Obviously, it looks exactly like him. But she's like, you can tell that it's supposed to be him. And he's like, yeah, of course. And like, she just seems so sincere. And it's like such a sweet little moment. And it's it's heartbreaking because we know that, you know, her husband just cheated on her, mm-hmm. which is devastating. And she's having this, you know, moment of really feeling loved by him and, you know, seen by him and like in like this passion that she has. And it's it's really it's a sweet moment that has a lot of layers to it. And I I don't know if another actor could really sell that the way that she does.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think she sells it really well. I just wish there was a little bit more of me to this role. Yes. And I, uh, what I also liked about this performance is that this is a different Blanche. Blanchett. Like, I think one of the things that she always plays is that she's exceptional or her characters are exceptional. They're very mm. confident. And, you know, Connie is not confident at all. She is the opposite of that. Like, she's not comfortable in her sexuality, doesn't think maybe she's attractive enough, especially when compared to Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Um, and is not confident in her marriage is not confident in her intellect like or in her talent like everything she's she's always questioning she is in most of her scenes she's looking for validation from her husband and it's sort of to me that's sort of the antithesis of what usually is the Blanchett screen persona
0: yeah yeah I couldn't agree that's a really that's a really good point and I couldn't agree more I think that's what helps this feel like such a unique performance within kind of yeah her her oeuvre is that it's not a very dominating kind of character it is somebody who's more reserved and that insecurity is really there and she yeah like you said she's always trying to find things to like make herself more interesting she's you know constantly talking about like learning wanting to learn french and that you know becomes like a thread that comes through too so like that plus like the art class she's always looking for these things to like be more than, you know, what she perceives as just the, you know, stay-at-home wife kind of thing. And I think that you can feel that in the character, for sure. Yeah.
1: And I think the movie is interesting. I already, you sort of, I think alluded to this earlier, but I find it unforgivable that you would cast Kate Blanchett and Angelina Jolie and not have them interact at all yeah. or give them one meaty scene. I mean, they we they should have had, I don't know, not necessarily a confrontation, because that's not what I want to see them do. But like they, you know, they they are at odds in this movie. But whatever it happens between them, if anything, doesn't. Nobody cares about for in this <laughs> film at all. But they do have a very interesting scene together, which is very brief interaction. So this is at a party where... Um, everybody who works, um, the families of everybody who works at air traffic control in that part of Jersey, they come together for this party at somebody's house and sort of all the wives come together, including Kate and Angelina. And they talk about sort of like the husbands, basically. Um, I don't think this movie will pass the Bechdel test because even in that scene, all yeah.
0: they're
1: talking about the husbands. But what was interesting to me is that it's sort of another note of how stressful this job is. Because I think the conversation there is about how divorce is part of this of this job. Mm-hmm. Because everybody says, "Oh, I'm I'm the second, I'm the third, I'm the fifth, whatever." So it's never like nobody is married just to one person. Divorces mm-hmm. happen, and they're sort of normal, and it becomes sort of a joke. In, te- in fact, that's what they're laughing at about like, at Kate's character because she's a first, which means that she's defending her husband because of
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an interesting scene. And like I wish, like you said, like I I feel like there is more that really could have been there with, you know, not just the wives, but also with Blanche and Jolie's character specifically. There's this later scene after kind of the affair happens where um, John Cusack and Kate Blanche's characters go out to their like favorite restaurant. And it's the restaurant that John Cusack's character took Angelina Jolie to before they slept together and they get there. And of course, Billy Bob and Angelina Jolie are both there as well. And it's this awkward scene and we kind of all see it through John Cusack's character's perspective, but mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett really wants to, you know, find this, um, this like community with you know the other couple and there's like a lot of like fun that has had between like the three of them bonding and Cusack kind of being left on his own and not really Mm -hmm. having a good time but it just made me think about like what a more compelling movie this would have been if we had been able to see Blanchett and Jolie's characters bond more and them have more of this relationship together before everything kind of went to shit you know
1: I'm glad you brought that scene because I thought the editing in that scene was very odd. Even yeah. though it's a four person scene, the editing makes it seem as if it's only John and, and Billy Bob, like yeah. you know, Kate and Angelina are there, but they're never part of the frame. It's very odd editing um, yeah. in that scene. And it sort of, sort of proves the point that you were talking about. So so let's talk about the ending of this film because Washington has a very sort of like big gesture ending. So John Cusack is very famous for Say Anything, which right. actually has one of the most classic big gesture romances ever. Like, you know, when he holds the boom box, everybody yeah. knows it. He holds the boom <laughs> box up high for Ioni Sky and, and all of that. And it's like a, that, a thing that has been referenced a lot since that movie came out in 1989. And I think somewhere... Pushington was trying to recreate this, maybe? It's the only reason I can think of to sort of include this in this movie. Yeah. I'll set it up and tell me what you think, Mitchell. So um, (laughs) in the end, Kate has, um, Connie, let's call her by her name, Connie has left him, her husband, and because of the affair and because he's like, uh, he's a loose cannon and all kinds of things. And she leaves and goes somewhere else, but then she's coming back to New York To um, on a plane to pick up her things to leave him forever. And of course, she's in the plane. She's called to the cockpit. The pilot wants to talk to her. And then it's John Cusack in the air traffic controller talking to her through the microphone in the cockpit, asking her to forgive him and be his wife again and all of that. And it's sort of like the air traffic controller version of the (laughs) boombox.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's, Yeah. It's, it's so misguided. It is like, you can, like you said, you can tell like what they're going for, what they want it to be, but there is no way to separate yourself from the reality of that scene, which is this, you know, asshole guy is literally hijacking a plane to manipulate his wife to say that she'll, you know, have dinner with him or get back together with him or else he's just not even going to let them land the plane. And it just feels like, it feels very much like, this guy, we went through this whole movie and this guy did not learn his lesson at all. He's still a piece of shit, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's bewildering to watch that scene go down and to watch it be played like the huge romantic, you know, sweeping gesture. Yeah,
1: like we're supposed to be swooning by this. Yeah, gesture, exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> but it's it's so not, not great. Yeah. Um, and also, I think you alluded to it earlier, like this movie was released in 99, so it's obviously pre-9-11. And there is a lot of shenanigans like this. There's a lot of shenanigans with planes and airports that would never happen today. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure they didn't even happen then. Um, yeah. Because the way they go, they go into the airport and sort of stand almost on the runway. I don't think anybody's allowed there, even if you are an air traffic. Oh, my controller. God. Those
0: scenes, those scenes there. Yeah. What what you're referring to are, you know, these two scenes with Billy Bob's character first he like is kind of mythologized for going on to you know the like tarmac i think and like standing underneath a plane as it's like landing and we see a footage of it where the plane comes in over him and he just gets blown away and it's like cgi'd and like the wor- like the <clears throat> the effects on it are so bad and you it like you kind of have to forgive them because it's this really weird period of time where like post jurassic park when they were putting effects like into like every movie because they yes. thought like oh we have this cool technology and post like terminator 2 and like you know we have this cool technology but like it just does not age well like whatsoever it looks so bad and then later they bring that back because Cusack's character goes out there with him and they do the same thing as a bonding kind of thing between the two of them and it is it is really hilarious and not the way that they wanted it to be <laughs>
1: Yes, it's it's very strange, and I think this movie now will will never be made. Scenes like this will just never be included because yeah. they won't make any sense. They didn't they didn't make sense then, I'm sure, but it yeah. will even be more strange these days.
0: I wonder what air traffic controllers thought of this movie when it came out. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um,
1: so this movie was kind of not received very well. Like the reviews were middling. The box office was almost non-existent.
0: Yeah, really um, bad box office.
1: Yeah. And it's a blip, I think, in everybody's career, but they all chugged it off and went on to do other things because that same year, each of the four principles, as we talked earlier in, in this podcast, had better movies and better th- things were coming just around the corner. So mm-hmm. nobody cared that much.
0: Yeah. Except, it's, it, it, who, it, it, except Mike Newell. Who, Mike Newell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who did not recover. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weirdly like one of those like very anonymous movies, you know, I'm working at a video store, seeing the cover, you know, 20 times a day and thinking I have no idea what this movie is, but I know and love all the actors in it. Like, how does this movie, you know, 20 years on have no or 10 years on, I guess, at that point, have like no cultural footprint whatsoever?
1: None at all. I think the one thing that maybe this movie is might be remembered for, but I don't think anybody mentions it when they talk about Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie, but they actually met um, making this movie. Although, according to my research, and that's just me reading the Wikipedia page of Billy Bob and Angelina's uh, personal relationships, is that they met on this movie, but actually didn't get together until a year later because they were both in relationships with other people at the time. Um, But this is the movie that sort of gave us that relationship that in the early aughts was a very famous and notorious. (laughs) Um, There is what, I mean, the the biggest moment of that relationship, of course, is the MTV Awards in 2000, which I think they both went to because Angelina was nominated for Gone in 60 Seconds. This is a year after this Mm. movie came out, something like that. The summer of 2000 and in and, and the MTV person interviewing them in the red carpet asks them about their relationship. And Billy Bob, of course, famously says, we just fucked in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> everybody sort of around the world had remembers that moment, even if you were not if you did not live through that. I'm sure lots of people. Know <laughs> that. Yeah, but why I bring it up is that there is a moment in this film that sort of mirrors that moment. And in that party that we mentioned earlier, where the wives get together and the husbands um, play games and whatever, um, Billy Bob sort of wins one of the one-off manships things. And then Angelina, of course, there is nothing to the character, except she's very hot. That's it. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. whole characterization, which yeah. is, of course, the new cast Angelina. She is very hot. Um, probably <laughs> the hottest woman on earth. Um, but... But anyway, so she goes up to him and gives him this sort of like long, wide mouth, open kiss. And it's sort of, and then everybody around in the party with all the extras, all the cast of the movie, they're sort of there with open mouths. They're just looking at them like, what the fuck is going on? And I yeah. think that sort of mirrors what the world Sort of the reaction of the world to that we fucked in the car moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. It feels totally like the on-screen relationship in this is mirroring what we would know of as the off-screen relationship of them. Because also there's that the scene that you mentioned when, you know, John Cusack and Cate Blanchett come into the restaurant and Billy Bob singing and Angelina Jolie's like on kind of the like stage area with him but she's like down on the ground like on her knees or something like holding on to him like yes in this very like it's like a BDSM kind of like tableau of the two of them that is really weird and like you just imagine all of these. It's like a family, like Italian restaurant that they're in. And I'm like, if I was in this restaurant, like in real life, like everybody would be like, what is going on with like these two here?
1: You would think the way they were behaving, these are two characters who will give each other a vial of their bloods. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So no I, surprise don't, there.
1: I don't know if this is art imitating life or life imitating art but maybe they they got the blueprint for their relationship from this very strange yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um,
0: the the chemistry is there for sure
1: (laughs) yes absolutely mitchell i wanted to play a very short game with you it's gonna be fun let's do it um so we have talked a lot on this podcast and if you've um if people have listened to other um, episodes of the podcast we talked about Kate's re- chemistry with her female co-stars like Judy Dench, Sandra Bullock and of course Roni Mara she doesn't really have chemistry with Angelina Jolie but that's just because they're not in that many scenes together so I thought we could flip that this time uh, because she also acted with a lot of guys mm. um, too in this film um, so I will name the co-star and okay. Mitchell try and guess the film it's going to be very easy but not too easy because the guys I chose, you know, these are not the most well-known. I'm not going to say Brad Pitt or Leo DiCaprio. These are sort of like other people that might not be top of mind.
0: Are you right, ready? Right. Yeah, let's give it a shot.
1: Okay. So the first person is Colin Farrell.
0: Um. Well, he was Veronica Guerin, right? Yes. He okay, cool.
1: he, he has a cameo in Veronica Guerin. Yeah. Um. Uh, What about Eric Cantona, the French football player?
0: French football player. Um, Yeah, I probably am not going to know that one.
1: So Eric Cantona, this is it's very funny to me because he has a very small role as the as one of the people in the French court in Elizabeth.
0: Ah, yeah. okay, yeah. There's no way I was going to get that.
1: (laughs) But he he was very famous around this time, around the mm-hmm. time that Pushington came out, which is why I brought him up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt Damon is as famous as Leo or Brad Pitt. And we talked about the talented Mr. Ripley, which he was in with Kate same mm-hmm. year as Pushington. But they made another movie later in their career. Do you know them, film?
0: They were both in The Monuments, man.
1: They were the Monuments <laughs> Man, which we haven't done on this podcast yet. A
0: but. movie that everybody knows and loves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A movie that I saw in theaters.
1: <laughs> um, I did too, unfortunately. Um, yeah,
0: not great. About- she's she's good in it though. She's probably the best thing in it. Yeah.
1: Another wig and an accent. She's French in that one. Yeah. Yeah. What about Christian Bale?
0: Um, yeah, what? Jesus, what were they in together? Um it's, um, it's a very famous tour. Oh, I'm Not There.
1: Um, they were in I'm Not There, but the movie that I'm thinking about, I'm Not There is correct. That's one <laughs> of the two. But the movie I'm thinking about, they played a couple.
0: I played a couple.
1: Because in I'm Not There, they you know, they play the same character, but they don't really share any scenes.
0: What were they a couple? And this is going to, I'm going to be like mad when... If I so don't think
1: about it. this is a very famous director, American. He's probably in his seventies, maybe older. He did a lot of movies and then, and takes
0: long breaks. He's famous for spending years. in. Oh, um, room. so which, which one were they in? Was it song to song? The was the no, they one. were in, um, to the wonder, right? No, uh, night of cups, night of cups, night of cups, night of cups. There <laughs> night we go. of cups you got it. Yeah. <laughs> <You> got, it. <laughs> got there eventually. I forgot she was in that. Yes. Um,
1: and then what about Robert Redford?
0: Oh, they were both in truth together.
1: Yes. So truth was one of our earlier films that we did on the podcast. Yes. Um, another, um, true life story. Although, you know, this is not a true life story. I don't know why I said that. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, this next guy is, um, he's been in with Kate in two movies, um, one early in her career and one very recently Um, it's Billy Crudup and I'll take either answer as correct.
0: Okay. So I'm, I'm going to try to think of the early one because I know the most, the more recent one is where'd you go Bernadette? Yes. I, maybe I won't be able is wait, is he, is he in Charlotte gray? That's it. You got it. He's in Charlotte gray. (laughs) I know my Billy.
1: Yes. And just, and this last one is an easy one um just because i couldn't make it all about guys so what mm. about melanie linsky
0: oh oh well they're both in don't look up yes they're both yeah, okay. in don't look up i was yeah. trying to think if they were in something else together uh, they She's, were melanie linsky's and they were yeah they were in mrs america oh right right right, right. okay yeah, yeah yeah but you know don't, it's,
1: this is about movies so don't look up is the correct answer you got them all except for eric cantina
0: <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs>
1: But yeah, Melanie Linsky is somebody like, um, I think she did this very nice thread on, um, on Twitter about you know um, all the actors in Don't Look Up. And one mm-hmm. of her things was like, um, one of the tweets was about Kate and how she loved working with her because they have that one scene in Don't Look Up. And this was the second time they worked together, but they didn't really have much time on Mrs. America because Kate was so busy and always working when they were on that set. But this time they got to hang out more.
0: Very cool. Melly Linsky is a queen. Everybody watched Yellow Jackets. She is killing it right now. We're all very happy to see it.
1: Yes. So let me ask you some questions that I usually end the podcast with. We've talked a lot about Kate's movies, almost all of them on this podcast, but do you think there is a movie maybe that you like more than other people that other people don't talk about enough?
0: Um yeah, I think there's there's probably a few I think kind of the biggest one that would come to my mind immediately is Heaven, the Tom Twickwe movie with her and Giovanni Rubici. That's a movie that I really, really love and like it's mm-hmm. never talked about. I think people who have seen it generally like it, but yeah, it's one of those ones that is just like never talked about. um i I really love that movie, so I definitely. Would like for more people to see it. I'm also a big, I like Veronica Guerin a lot. Veronica Guerin's one of my favorite performances of hers, and it's kind of one that's under the radar. I also I know that there is a contingent of people who do stand for bandits. So maybe that's not as underrated (laughs) anymore, but I love bandits. I love her in it. It's it's a very fun movie. I that's like she is so fun. And she's like, she's so fun, but also so sexy in that movie. It's a really great movie to like watch for Cate Blanchett. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm happy you mentioned Heaven because I also saw that, you know, maybe Heaven is underrated or people don't talk about it, but it's actually, we did an episode about it and it's one of the most popular
0: episodes that
1: I released with the spot. That makes so, me very
0: happy to hear.
1: So at least listeners who listen to this podcast <laughs> love the movie and, or maybe, you know, the the real ones who love Kate Blanchett love Heaven.
0: Yeah, you're the real Kate Blanchett fans. Love Heaven. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder how many people stop around the street and say, "I love. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge Heaven fan." Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, and then, so who is your favorite Kate Blanchett scene partner?
0: That one's a really easy one for me and kind of an obvious one. You know, you mentioned her when we were just doing the game, but my favorite Cape Blanchett performance is Notes on a Scandal. My favorite Judi Dench performance is Notes on a Scandal. And, you know, a big part of why I love that movie and I love the two of them together is because of, you know, the dynamic between the two of them and just how much they work well together. And I mean, individually too, of course, but they, they are so good together in that movie. And that that's the movie that really, I like vividly remember seeing that movie in theaters with my mom, like when it came out and just like both of us being totally blown away by what they were both doing in that movie and that movie overall, like it, that's a movie. I love that movie so much. And the two of them together.
1: It's so delicious, and they're both so delicious in it. And, you delicious, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and perfect it's sort of like they, you know, they played the friendship well, and they played the antagonism well. It's just mm-hmm. like such such a gorgeous duet between between both of them, and you sort of like, even though they're they're not always in in friendly scenes, their characters, but you just. Feel the sort of like respect that they, yeah, they, I think each of them had for the other because nobody's trying to steal a scene from another, or like it's, yeah. it works like such a beautiful duet. Like, you know, Kate shines in some moments and Judy shines mm. in others, and um. Yeah, I yeah, love that they,
0: movie too. They really perfectly complement each other. That that was really well put what you just said about like nobody feels like the dominant force there. And so it becomes one of those things where it's frustrating that they put Kate Blanchett in supporting for the Oscar campaign and everything because like yeah. she's elite. They both should have gotten nominated in lead. They should have shared the win for lead.
1: Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I would have loved that. Um, and I hope, you know, um, I hope Judy Dench is with us forever. Um, of course. And hopefully she and Kate can do another another project together
0: um, yeah. soon let's get the sequel
1: yes let's do it <laughs> uh, so let's end with who would you like to see her work with other than the Dane judy dench
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you know i think i often will like go to directors when i think about who like i would like to see you know my favorite actors work with and like kate Kate's you know so interesting because she's worked with like all of the big ones. So like I when I think about like what I would like to see her do it's more kind of like different kind of stuff than what she's done. Like I would love to see her not that she hasn't done kind of like down and dirty kind of indie movies, but I would love to see her do something with like Jeremy Sogne, like Green Room or like, you mm-hmm. know, something with like the Safties would really be cool. But I also would love to see her do like I I love her in comedy and you know, I love like she's so funny in pushing tin. We just talked about bandits too. Like, she is so funny. Don't look up, she's hilarious. And, and I like she brings comedy to a lot of different roles. I mean, Bernadette, you know, she's really funny in Bernadette as well. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see her do more of like a like straight-up comedy. Like, I would love to see her do like a rom-com with somebody like Idris Elba or like Randall Park or somebody like that. Oh, you know, wow. just really like dive like into that kind of aspect of it, it would be like so fun to just see her do a comedy like that and like a romance too and like just a pairing like that would be really interesting I think
1: yeah I like that idea I think one of the few genres that she hasn't really tried is the rom-com yeah Um, except maybe for bandits a little bit that was a rom-com
0: yeah you know like a (laughs) three-way three-way (laughs) rom-com Yes. that movie was very into
1: polyamory like that ending was yes
0: yeah very much so (laughs) Very progressive for its time.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mitchell, this has been so wonderful and a joyful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with me about Pushing 10. I really appreciate it. And I love, love chatting with you.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I I really had a blast and I really appreciate coming on, especially, you know, as the podcast is coming towards an end, it feels very, you know, flattering to be invited on before, before things come to a close. So thank you so much.
1: Yes, of course. And I'm happy you mentioned that the podcast is coming to an end because I'm running out of Kate Blanchett, <laughs> films. And this has all, you know, in all my planning, it has always been a project that was going to have an ending. Um, yes, Kate is working and has a lot of movies coming out. Um, but, you know, those are going to come as they come and maybe then we'll come back. But um, I am thinking of how to end the show. So listeners... If you have a suggestion of what you want me to do on the last episode of Sunday's Escape, for now, you know, when she comes back and does a Pedro Almodovar movie, of course I'll get on. <laughs> I can talk about it. But, but for now, um, we're gonna end it in a couple of weeks. So let me know what you want me to do in the last couple of episodes. You know, there are some movies that we we haven't discussed. I'm not gonna do the Terrence Malick movies because Terrence Malick is not a director who's like. This is a podcast about acting, so those movies are not really about the actors, so those I'm not doing, but there are a couple of others that we will do before we end. So suggestions, you know, give them to me in the comments, on Twitter, wherever you want. And Mitchell, thank you so much again for coming. And before we go, um, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work.
0: Yeah, you know, as, as we said, like I'm, I'm a senior editor at Letterboxd and I write for a bunch of different sites like Film Stage and Paste and the playlists and stuff like that. So I think the the quickest, easiest way to find anything I'm doing is just follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle's at Mitchell, and anything that I'm posting, um, anything that I'm writing, you know, I'll post up there. So I say that's the best way to see my stuff. Yeah.
1: And give Mitchell a follow there, a wonderful follow. Um, I enjoy your Twitter so much.
0: Oh, thank um, you so much.
1: <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at M E underscore says, and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.